Last Saturday morning, I got up while it was still dark. I'm pretty sure it was earlier than Mary Magdalene woke up on the first Easter morning. But I wasn't up early to be the first person to meet the risen Christ. I wanted to be first in line to register my children for swimming lessons at Swim Ranch. <laughs> A friend had told me about the old-fashioned but fair Swim Ranch sign-up process when my oldest child was a baby. So to get a spot, you have to register in person on registration day, and the line can be very long, and it can already be full. At the time, I thought I wasn't the kind of parent who would go to all that trouble just for some extracurricular activity. But if there's one spiritual truth I know, it's that the moment I start judging an action as something I'd never be crazy enough to do, I eventually find myself doing that very thing. The process turned out to be more harrowing than I expected. Swim Ranch is a ways out of town, and I relied on the navigational software on my phone to get me there. So sometime before 7, I pulled into a long, semicircular driveway in front of a large house and noticed someone stirring inside. There was only one car ahead of me in the driveway, and the doors to the house would open at 8. I settled in to enjoy my tea and my book while waiting. After about 15 minutes, a woman came out onto the porch in her bathrobe. I'd say she had curlers in her hair, but that would just be embellishing the story. With one hand, she held a cell phone to her ear. In her other hand, she held on to a huge black rifle. Then it hit me, I was in the wrong place. <laughs> now, I don't blame people for being intimidated when complete strangers pull up in front of their house early in the morning and just sit there. But I also have to say, it was scary to think for a moment that my life and the future happiness of my children, not to mention their swimming skills, <laughs> depended on convincing one person that I came in peace. I couldn't just drive off in a panic, because then I'd really look like some kind of intruder. I might have considered that my best option, though, if my race, gender, and minivan weren't already working in my favor. So I rolled down my window and asked, is this Swim Ranch? <laughs> now, I knew that it wasn't Swim Ranch, but I was trying to convey my innocence with the fewest possible words. The woman quickly gave me directions to the right place, and I apologized for having frightened her. That moment gave me a small taste of a problem faced by the risen Christ also early in the morning. How could he quickly and clearly communicate that he came in peace? In Mark's Gospel, the women who first witnessed the empty tomb, not even Christ himself, are so frightened that they say nothing to anyone. In Luke's gospel, the disciples are so suspicious that they don't believe the women who tell them that Christ is risen. In John's gospel, as we heard last week, the disciples are hiding behind locked doors because they're afraid that they're targets themselves. And in the gospels of Mark and Matthew, as well as the book of Revelation, we find early Christians who believed that Jesus would return any minute to avenge himself on all wrongdoers. 
In this atmosphere, how could the risen Christ convince people that he came not to frighten or avenge, but to comfort and accompany them? Several resurrection appearances in the Gospels sound almost like experiments in which Christ's risen presence seeks to make itself felt without triggering suspicion or terror. By Easter evening, Christ appears to have caught his stride. Today's gospel tells the story of two disciples encountering the risen Christ as they make the seven-mile journey from the city of Jerusalem to the village of Emmaus on the evening of the first Easter. First, the risen Christ appears to these disciples in the form of a fellow traveler who falls into step with them and joins their conversation about current events and the scriptures. Second, the risen Christ appears to them in the form of a guest as they break bread together. These encounters with the risen Christ set the pattern for our Sunday worship. When we come to this place, we encounter the presence of the risen Christ in conversation with the scriptures and, just like the disciples in today's gospel, about events as current as the execution of a man just a few days ago. And of course, we encounter Christ's presence in the breaking of bread with strangers and friends. There's a third way that the presence of Christ makes itself known in today's gospel, again coming to us not to frighten or avenge, but to make peace and to inspire. The risen Christ makes himself known in the burning of the heart, even if it's recognized only after the fact. That presence is there, in an undercurrent of our lives that we often ignore. We only know that presence when we're left asking, like the disciples in today's gospel, were not our hearts burning within us? That burning may be a burst of joy or optimism. It may be a flash of anger that gives us some clue to our vocation, to what sets our hearts on fire. At the end of the day, it's worth asking, when was my heart burning? That burning, detected only in hindsight, may be a sign of the risen Christ seeking to comfort, accompany, and inspire us without provoking our fears. This search for the risen Christ's presence by looking back on the events of the day is good news for late risers, especially people at the 11 o'clock service. We don't have to wake up extremely early to meet the risen Christ. We only have to be open during our day and reflective at the day's end. By the evening of that first Easter, Christ began to approach his people as companion and guest through conversation and breaking bread, and through a subtle burn in the heart that is recognized only after he's disappeared. In these ways, we know that Christ has not come to frighten or avenge, but to be among us and within us as both stranger and dearest friend. Amen.